1: Congratulations, True Crime Addicts. We have survived yet another week. The odds were against us, but, but we made it. It's Friday, July 1st, 2022, the first day of July. And I've got some top stories for you in the world of true crime from around the world. So buckle up. It's a jam-packed week. I've got cold case updates after the break genetic genealogy, some really weird news I found on Reddit concerning a case I'd never heard of before that it'll, that'll turn your hair white. I don't know. Do they still say that? Uh, so welcome back. Uh, I do want to address at the top of the show some more of this information regarding Billy Jensen. I got a little heat, a little flack on social media about this last week. Again, I'm not uh, saying anything specifically about the allegations in this case. My whole point last week was that you can, you can still like these flawed people on both sides of the issue. This was about Billy Jensen, uh, who is very well-known in the true crime circles. He uh, helped while well, he participated in the finishing of the book, uh, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, after Michelle McNamara's death. Uh, he, you've seen him on several TV shows. He's he was on um, co-hosting the Murder Squad podcast, and uh, he had another podcast with uh, Alexa Linkletter. Um, first degree is that what it's called? Um, but anyways, you see him around Crime Con and places like this. So he, there were rumors that came up around the time of Crime Con a couple months ago now. That slowly percolated on social media by his, you know, clear enemies um, and then exploded after Jen Tisdale went on her podcast and, uh, and talked about this incident that occurred in a hotel room. She claimed she was slapped by Billy Jensen. And then news came out that the reason Murder Squad is no more is because there was some alleged civil suit involving... An incident that we didn't know about it. So there was this incident involved in a civil suit, and then he lost his podcast. Uh, the book release that was planned is kind of fucked up too. Uh, so there's all this, all this drama. Well, we got a little more info information this week. Uh, first of all, there's this podcast, "Affirmative Murder," that is hosted by Alvin Williams and Francelle Evans. Now I'd never heard of affirmative affirmative murder before they're very good uh i enjoyed the listening to them anyways i think they were off on a couple things on the podcast but what they did right was they finally gave us information about what led to this alleged civil suit and here's the story this is from the affirmative murder first of all Here's here's the write-up If you haven't listened to Affirmative Murder this They're described as uh, The podcast that brings equity To true crime in its own weird way Amateur true crime lovers Fran and Alvin Tell each other murder stories involving Minority victims and perpetrators every week It's very important And uh, a good niche that they're filling Follow them as they explore The darker side of true crime Pun intended So They gave us the rest of the story, and they talked about how there was this Halloween party that was hosted uh, by the exactly right media group crew. They were behind Murder Squad, by the way. Everybody was drinking. It was a big party. They didn't exactly say where. I'm guessing somewhere out in L.A. Billy was there with his wife. And a friend of one of the podcasters at some point during this party, came over and said, so Billy just grabbed my ass. And that incident, this, uh, this alleged um, grabbing of this person's ass, is what led to the civil suit and uh, Billy separating from Murder Squad and, and all the drama that came from that. So now we know what they're specifically saying, alleging that he did. And I don't think any of the principals, like Billy or this woman, I don't think they can talk about it. Uh, It appears that there's probably either this is—nobody's dug up the records yet. I don't know if this is still ongoing or if there's an NDA in place. Anyways, we're not hearing from the principals on this. This is all just secondhand, but that's what's been alleged. The other incident, the one that involves Jen Tisdale— um, now, a little background on this because uh, still a little inside baseball. Jen sayssdale is uh, she she organizes events. She organized this event called Death Becomes her. It's a kind of a um, a smaller crime conish type of convention. I think it was in New York City and, and also DC a couple of years ago. Uh, but the incident she talks about on her podcast uh, occurred allegedly, in a hotel room during the death becomes her festival where she was in Billy's hotel room and she claims that he slapped her in the face now he's denied that that slap has happened we we heard that last week what we didn't hear was uh, his statement which he released in the meantime along with texts between himself and Jen Tisdale let me just go over this a little bit cuz you know we should hear all sides here um, this is a statement that Billy released on his website Billy Jensen uh, you don't have to take it take my word for it the Jen's serious allegations against me are false he writes text messages between myself and Jen show a reality very different from the one she presented on her podcast including numerous friendly and unwelcome messages that Jen sent me in the days weeks months and years following the alleged incident The documentation contradicts Jen's allegations and may shed some light on the possible motivations for her to spread false allegations, he says. In February 2019, I was preparing to release my book, Chase Darkness, with me and to launch my podcast, Murder Squad, neither of which had come out yet. Uh, This is what brought him to Death Becomes Us Festival in 2019 in New York City. Before we even met, he writes, Jen began sending me texts. She assigned me the nickname Beej, B-E-E-J, Beej. Told me I was going to be her favorite person at the upcoming festival and asked numerous times to have a drink together once we reach New York. And he shows some of these texts. Um, and it gets it, it goes a little further. Even before we met, he writes, Jen began to cross some lines, as she admitted. And uh, here's an email that he puts up to which uh, she... Allegedly writes, uh, hey, okay, I'm going to delete your number and just stick to emails because drunk testing is not professional, and I'm sorry. He goes on to say, once I arrived at the festival on March 20th, Jen invited me for a drink at the hotel bar, and I accepted for the first night, March 21st. It was just the two of us at the George Washington bar where the festivities had made accommodations for its speakers. Um. And he provides some texts that uh, show they're having a good time. And he confesses, while we were at the bar, we had drinks. Uh, Jen confided in, in him that she had been romantically involved with a mutual friend. And they started making out. Then he says he left the bar alone, but I did not invite Jen to my room, he writes. Jen sent me a text saying we needed to talk tomorrow, followed up by a phone call asking to come to my room I felt I could not turn her away because she was the director of the festival and I let her in and he has texts that back this up Um, one text she's saying I'm at the bar but in the bathroom and like a freshman in college could go either way so let me know after chatting a bit more in the room uh, they made out again Uh, he says I did not want to take that much further She removed her clothes, I kept mine on. Jen wanted more from me physically and attempted multiple times to remove my jeans, but I did not want them removed and pushed her hand away. I made sure to keep all my street clothes on. Eventually, we both fell asleep. At no point in the evening did I slap Jen. We never had sex. I have never been violent with Jen or anyone else ever. I do not recall Jen ever joking about a supposed slap. She claims she left the room in the middle of the night. That's also false. Early the next morning, I woke up fully clothed and Jen was still there. Before she left that morning, she said, Can I just see it? Referring to my genitals, I declined. Because of Jen's position at the festival, I did not feel comfortable breaking off communications with her and continued to socialize with her that week. And there's much more to this, many, many, many more texts. Uh, the texts, whether whatever happened in that hotel room, and they've presented both sides now, Jen's told hers, Billy's told his, um, whatever happened, it is clear from the text that Billy is trying to not have a relationship here and that Jen is pursuing one after Billy says no many, many, many times. So I I didn't pour you, if you're interested in all in the story and getting to the, 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 at least some evidence and facts of it, to check it out. Uh, And, you know, and at least consider if these roles had been reversed. And if Billy was the one that was talking his way into hotel rooms and texting her at all hours of the day and night uh, asking to meet up asking for um picks for her spank bank if those roles have been reversed i mean my my god my god um so drama what a mess uh like I said my point here everybody's fallible doesn't mean you have to not like' them. I like all the people involved in this Billy, Jen, the other podcasters here. Um, you know, people people are weird, man. Uh, story out of San Antonio that you need to hear about. It's kind of sad. A little bit of a trigger warning here. This happened this week, though, and it's kind of big news. And a weird crime, as far as crimes go. Just before 6 p.m. on Monday... A man was working in a building in San Antonio, Texas, when he thought he heard someone crying for help. He goes to investigate, walks outside, walks to a nearby road, which is known as La Boca de Lobo, which is Spanish for the mouth of the wolf. That road's called that because it gets pitch black at night, and it's used as a smuggling route to and from Mexico. man finds an abandoned semi and trailer. This is not good already. Goes to the back door. It's already partially opened. Inside, he finds the bodies of 53 people, so according to CNN. Uh, all these sources and, and notes are at the end of the, in the liner notes of the podcast. 53 people dead in that trailer. Migrants from Mexico, Guatemala, and Honduras. Some of them were children. Two men have already been charged in federal court, but right now they're only charged with possession of a weapon by an alien illegally in the U.S. But these two men were caught once the police did a background on the truck and traced its uh, registration to a residence nearby, found these two men leaving just as they got there, arrested them. So the assumption is that they were involved. They don't know if they're the drivers yet, I don't think. And... This shows the growing problem of people dying trying to get into the United States, uh, mostly from, from Mexico, and it's become big business down there. The cartels on the other side are you know, f- getting lots of cash for trying to hide people and smuggling them into the United States and not caring when they die. Nobody's going to go back and arrest the cartels for their part in this across the border. Get Last year 650 people Died crossing That border uh, It's um, So it's uh, it, It's like Something At a Breaking pad That you Would see You know Something Something terrible Went down It didn't Work as Expected Somebody Dropped the Ball 53 people Looking for A better Life in The United States Died um, Puts Things in Perspective A little Bit We are Very Very lucky Still Although the country's not not what it used to be, right, especially in this last week. Uh, so it's something to think about. Uh, uh, okay, so for the last—I usually do three stories, but there's a couple more stories I want to get to this week. They're all kind of related. So um, there were three high-profile criminal sentencings this week that you should know about. The first one— involves the Paris terror attacks. Now, do you remember those, you know, yeah, things outside of the United States we have very short-term memory for, but back in 2015 there was a series of terror attacks that happened in Paris, France that left 130 people dead. Well, it's very rare for French courts to send anyone to prison for life. Very rare, but they did so this week when they sentenced Salah Abdeslam to a full term life sentence for his role in the 2015 Paris attacks, according to The Guardian. Uh, Abdeslam was part of an Islamic state terror cell of suicide bombers that attacked people outside a sports stadium on Friday the 13th. This is in November 2015. Oddly, though, Abdeslam, you're you're wondering, like, if they were all suicide bombers, how did Abdeslam survive? Well, his vest either didn't work properly. Or like he said, he had second thoughts at the last minute. You got to think about culpability there, right? Like you know, I I'm not saying he shouldn't have been sentenced to life. I'm just saying what what happens then if if a if a terrorist is in place. Kind of reminds me of that attempted assassination of. Um, Kavanaugh a couple of weeks ago, where that kid actually turned himself in. This is a little different because Abdislam didn't turn himself in, but he says he got there and he couldn't do it. He couldn't go through with it. After the attacks, he went on the run. Police finally caught up with him outside Brussels in March 2016. He was on the run for many months. Here's what he said in court. It's interesting. His last words in public, quote, I don't want to be remembered, he said. I want to be forgotten Forever. I didn't choose to be the person I am today. It's good. Good. As far as last words go, that's pretty good. Ghislaine Maxwell was also sentenced this week. She was sentenced to 20 years, according to the Post. Ghislaine is now 60 years old, and she was very hard to read in the courtroom during sentencing. She addressed the victims once. She said, sorry for the pain you experienced. Remember, Ghislaine Maxwell's the... Woman who helped procure underage women for girls, underage girls for Jeffrey Epstein and his uh, very influential guests at his Lolita Island uh, over the years. Ghislaine has a very interesting backstory, too. I got into this months ago on this show, but if you look into it, she comes from, she's the daughter of a media mogul. Uh, she grew up rich, entitled. She had everything, but the death of her father's weird too. He was found dead in the water, uh, beside his yacht, somewhere out in the ocean. His yacht, by the way, was named uh, Galene. He named he named the <laughs> he named his yacht after his daughter, not his youngest, not his oldest daughter either, or anything like that. That that's got to be weird if you're like. An older daughter, and your father names his his most expensive possession after your younger sister. That's creepy stuff, man. Uh, one of these these girls, who's now now a woman, older of course, at sentencing, talked of being at this island of Epstein's and contemplating jumping off a cliff because she was so scared of them and didn't know how any other way to get away. Jumping off a cliff into shark infested waters. Uh, Ghislaine's lawyers are asking that she be sent to a pretty cushy pus- a prison, a pretty cushy prison in Danbury, Connecticut. You would know it as the prison from Orange is the New Black, where they sent it's very low security, specifically for women, kind of a nice way to spend your time. Glenn can get reduced sentence for time served and good behavior. She's probably going to get out before the 20 years is over. She's 60 years old, though, so, you know, she's, you know, it's going to be difficult. Uh, But here's the thing. She's got lots of leverage, doesn't she? She knows Epstein's clients. She knows the people that came to that island and the other people that partook in all this stuff. And I could see her trying to cut deals that way. And I imagine they will. Um, so that'll be that'll be interesting. Hopefully she doesn't end up like Epstein. And finally, R. Kelly was also sentenced this week. R. Kelly, the uh, former rapper. Once you're a rapper, you're, are you always a rapper? Probably. Anyways, R. Kelly will be trapped in a closet, sized cell for the next 30 years, uh, according to the Times, convicted of racketeering and sex trafficking. I'm not going to get into the specifics of the crimes because they involve uh very young girls and it's uber disgusting so uh yeah lots of big big names going away for a long time this week hey i'll be right back after two and two i've got some crazy cold case updates you're going to want to hear this weird story i found out on reddit uh stay tuned
2: it's that time of the year
0: In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
1: And welcome back to The Wonder Years, starring Danica McKellar. Hey, uh, have you tried Silk City hot sauce yet? I swear to God, if you haven't, I'm going to track you down. I know you're listening to me in the car. Look to the right. That's me in the car right, right beside you. Trying to get you to to check out Silk City Hot Sauce. Hi. Uh, you, seriously though, you should try it. I they come in like these little pints, like a like whiskey, and they're delicious. They they've and super. Some of them are super hot. Some of them kind of tangy, sweet. There's a nice green sauce there. Uh, they all have original artwork that is uh, very cool and that way when you're done you can put it on a shelf it's nice to display it you got to try it Uh, trust uncle james when i tell you this silk city hot sauce is worth uh, a sample so what you're going to do you got to check out silkcityhotsauce.com make yourself an order and then in the little box that says hey Do you have a coupon code or a special code? What's the password here? I have your password. It is CRIME, C-R-I-M-E, CRIME, and that'll get you a sweet little discount. So check it out, SilkCityHotSauce.com. Wild cold case update this week involving the case of Emmett Till. Can't get any bigger than this. You should know about the Emmett Till case if you consider yourself a true crime addict. Emmett Till is a sad part of American history. Here's how it played out. Emmett Till was a 14-year-old African-American from liberal Chicago. But in August of 1955, he decided to spend the summer with relatives in the Deep South. This kid from Chicago went to Money, Mississippi. Probably expected he could act like he did in Chicago. He went into a grocery store with a relative, this guy, Wheeler Parker. There they saw 21-year-old Carolyn Bryant Donham. Cute young woman stocking groceries. Emmett whistled at her. That's it. Later that night, it's alleged that Carolyn went looking for Donham with her husband, Roy Bryant, and his brother, J.W. Millem. Roy and J.W. abducted Emmett in their truck, took him to a barn where they tortured and beat him to death. Then they dumped his body in the Tallahatchie. It was found a couple days later. Emmett's mother made the funeral an open casket event so that everybody could see the brutality that was inflicted on her son. It became a big moment in the civil rights movement and shined a light on what still happened in the Deep South. Roy and J.W. went on trial, by the way, and were acquitted by a jury of their peers in Mississippi. However, they later admitted to the killing, knowing they were safe from double jeopardy. Emmett's relatives were searching in the basement of a Mississippi courthouse this week looking for evidence, looking for anything they could find to tell Emmett's story. Deep in their archives, in the basement, in a box, they found a warrant for the arrest of Carolyn Bryant Donham for kidnapping, dated August 29, 1955, a warrant that had never been served, and they want it served now. Now, Carolyn, who's 21 years old at the time, would be around 88 right now. She's still alive, by the way. She's living in North Carolina. Uh, Emmett's family wants her arrested. Uh, It should be interesting to see what, if anything, comes of this. Uh, I'm guessing not much. Maybe a civil suit, at least. Uh, But it's interesting. Here's a piece of history that was found hidden, lost in an archive in Mississippi, this old warrant. Really cool, I think. Uh, They, you know, should should she be arrested after all this time? You know, they just tried a Nazi war criminal. He was just sentenced this week, I think, too. I should have mentioned that as well. Um, And he's 101 years old. So these big cases, eventually, as... Shakespeare knew way back when The truth will out It's just a matter of time And then you've got this Just in Breaking news from ABC Marshallists have finally caught up With Caitlin Armstrong Remember her? She's been on the run for What is it? A couple months now? She was um, charged with the murder Of professional Or there's an indictment anyways She's wanted for the murder of Professional cyclist Anna Mariah Wilson, who who'd been involved with Caitlin's husband during a separation, Anna was found shot to death at, at uh, you know by a by a front door. Um, Armstrong went on the run. She was seen at a couple of different airports and in, in around New York and Newark. Anyways, the marshals finally caught up with her this week. She'd been hiding out in Costa Rica. They found her in Costa Rica in a hostel on Santa Teresa Beach. I'm just wondering, like, what was the endgame there? Oh, like, she <laughs> she's such a striking American-looking woman. She's got this curly red hair. She, she looks out of place... She would look out of place in any foreign country. Immediately. Uh, she's not the type of person that can... That can hide long term. So I just I wonder like what the end game is. I, I think some people don't even think that far ahead. I think some a lot of people are just on autopilot and just will ignore a problem until it finally knocks on their door. Weird, man. So anyways, they got her. In the world of genealogy, this is not specific to genetic genealogy this week. But it's, it's a case about how cool these new advances in DNA are becoming. They're now using these new familial DNA techniques and advanced DNA testing that can find the smallest amount and get a full genetic profile out of it to solve old crimes. There's this lab that we use at the Porchlight Project, Othram Labs. Sometimes we use them, and they're very good to us. I think we've worked on two or three cases already. But Othram... Recently, they had a case where they had four cells, just four cells, and they were able to pull a DNA profile out of that. So we're, you know, that's they're doing some wild stuff. Anyways, they, they link, they're linking these new crime, these new uh, tests, profiles, to old serial killers. This week, it involves the case of Diane Cusick, who's a 23-year-old dance instructor from Long Island, on February 15th, way back in 1968, she went to a mall. She went to the mall to buy a pair of shoes, and she never returned. Her body was found in the backseat of her car in the mall parking lot. She'd been beaten, raped, and strangled. Evidence in that case was collected but there was and tested over the years, but there was never enough DNA to make out a profile or to link anybody to it. Now, this new testing is so good they retested it and immediately had a profile that they were able to upload into the system. I believe this is the CODA system. And they got a match right away, a match to a man already in their system, one Richard Cottingham, 75 years old. Some have called to taking, uh, taken to calling him. Some call him the torso killer because he cut off the heads and hands of some of his victims, so they, hoping that they wouldn't be identified. And he's in jail for a couple of those killings. He claims he he might have murdered up to 100 people. Now, I never believe those statistics when it gets that high. Like Sam Little, pfft, no way. No way did these people—no way did they kill 100 people. I would, I would guess at most, like, 20-ish. But what they'll do is once they're in prison and they know they're in there forever— They'll confess to additional murders in order to get, like, extra a la carte or snacks or provisions in prison. So don't ever believe it when it gets that high. And I don't believe it, by the way, on this one. But there are going to be more here. Uh, back in the 60s, Cottingham had an apartment in Midtown, and he'd preyed on uh, sex workers there. This is the first case to place them in Nassau County, though, so now they're going back and looking through all the old cases from the 60s and 70s. Here's that weird story I was talking about. It's, I found it on Reddit, and I love it when I can share stories from Reddit with you because I get to – <laughs> instead of saying, oh, this is brought to you by The Guardian or The Times, I, I, I can say this is brought to you by user Fudge Off, baby." It's about the disappearance of. I'd never heard about this case before. It's fascinating. It's about the disappearance of Amber Ayaz and daughter Melissa Fu, who disappeared from Irvine, California on November 22nd, 2019. Immediately after the disappearance, Melissa's stepfather started acting strangely, and he didn't contact police until several days after the disappearance. And when he finally did, he said, well, the reason I didn't contact you before now is because I was following the instructions of the kidnappers that took them. And he told this story. And, well, here's a little background. Amber Ayaz was born in China. She moved to Chicago, where she gave birth to Melissa Fu. Then her husband and, and Melissa's father died of cancer. She ended up in Vegas, and there she met... Uh, Chang Zhang, the stepfather. He worked as an Uber driver at the time, and Amber was running a seafood grocery, and she would she would somehow pick up these groceries in Vegas, I believe if I've got the story right, and drive them into Irvine where she'd, she'd sell them at her little grocery. So there's this day where Amber is driving from Vegas to Irvine, and she's left her daughter, Melissa, with Cheng Zhang, her stepfather. This, this, here's how the story goes, according to uh, Cheng. He says he answer, there was a knock at the door. He answered the door and only to find a, a man and a woman of Chinese descent at his doorstep. And the woman sprayed something at him. He said he saw a wet mist that hit his face, and then he was knocked unconscious by this mist, whatever it was. When he woke up, his stepdaughter was gone. And he found a piece of white paper there, I think on the floor, with a handwritten note in Chinese that said Amber and Melissa were okay and that they would be home in a few days, but only if he followed their instructions to a T and said if you contact the police, you won't see them again. And the instructions were bizarre. They weren't exactly... Demands high demands for money some of these demands were like clean the apartment, act normal get out of town for a while, we're watching you and one of the instructions specifically was to get rid of the blood, bloody carpet there's some bloody carpet after he woke up now it sounds suspicious AF, right? as the kids say but the police seemed to believe him they surveilled him For a while he didn't act suspicious Didn't do anything weird They gave him a polygraph which he passed So a lot of Conspiracy theories around this Like was it some sort of weird Spy thing Were they repatriating Melissa Fu Back to China For some reason That's bizarre Um, So check that out Chang Zhang C-H-A-N-G got to mention this, too. Uh, this is another weird news story, but too good to pass up, and I couldn't get to it last week. So here, here it is. Uh, a couple weeks ago, there was a shootout between police and a drug cartel in uh, Texcaltitlan. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Let me try that again. Tecaltitlan, Mexico, this is according to The Independent. Now, after the shootout, lots of people were dead. And police started going through the bodies. They found the de- uh, bodies of 11 gang members and the body of a spider monkey wearing a small camo jacket and a tiny bulletproof vest. Poor guy. So I want to know what his job was. Like, he's a spider monkey. I don't think he could have been an enforcer. Did he test their product before humans? Did, just to make sure it was okay? There's a whole story about that. Uh, there's a Pixar movie in that an, The first R-rated Pixar movie, maybe I'd watch it In Mexican tradition, by the way The monkey received its own Corita It's a folk ballad to honor dead cartel members Rest in peace, little spider monkey uh, with, in, in the world of pop culture This is an oldie but a goodie That I'd never gotten to I was down with COVID for the first half of this week Got to catch up on some TV shows I've never seen. If you haven't seen it yet, you got to check out American Crime Story. I'm watching the first season, which is about the O.J. Simpson case, and it presents it in a very different way. It's in in a way that you could only do with really big cases. And I see the next seasons are like uh, Versace, the murder of Versace, and then the impeachment of Bill Clinton. These are all cases that we as true crime addicts kind of know front and back, at least we think we do. And then the way the show plays out, for instance, with the O.J. Simpson case, we know he's going to end up in that white Ford Bronco on this slow police chase on the highways outside L.A. We see how that happened, how he gets there. We know it's happening. It's a different way of playing with suspense. It's really cool, though, and the casting is ridiculous. It shouldn't work, but it does. John Travolta is in it. you know, you've got Ross from Friends playing the Kardashian guy. Uh, it's just silly casting, but it's it's such a good show. So check it out if you haven't. Checking the charts, the top true crime podcasts according to chartable.com. Same ones in the top ten this week. we got Crime Junkie at the top fighting for it against Morbid, who's giving Crime Junkie a run for its money. Uh, Morbid has new branding, by the way, as they're blowing up. Looks pretty good. But the podcast I kind of want want you to check out this week, if you can, check out the Prosecutor's Podcast, Friends of the Show. They just started their series on the Casey Anthony trial, which is super fascinating. They're doing six episodes. Episode one came out this week. Check it out. Now, everybody, like, hated Casey Anthony after this this trial— but I, I got to tell you, she really should have been acquitted, and, and she was acquitted, uh, because they rushed it. They charged her with murder before they figured out what happened. And it really, if you look at the evidence, it doesn't really line up with murder. It it lines up more with a negligent death and a cover-up afterwards. So they couldn't unring that bell. So... And they charged her with murder. She was, you know, in line for the death penalty. Of course she was acquitted. Doesn't mean she's 100% innocent of everything to do with what happened to Kaylee. Although I I don't think we'll ever get the full story. I'm excited. I can't wait till they get to the testimony of Arpad Voss, who was a witness for the prosecution about uh, decomposition, I believe. Uh, If you don't know Arpad Voss... You should. He has been popping up in other cases, Uh, and specifically the Maury Murray case. He... (laughs) So he's got this... There was just a write-up. you you got to Google the name, for God's sakes. Arpad Voss, this uh, once-renowned expert, now has this device. He's essentially a dowser. Um, This device, he proclaims can find missing people by um, what's well, a fingernail gun? You get a, you get some fingernail from a relative or from the, the, the person that's missing or likely deceased. He's looking for bodies. and you the way it's been described to me is you put the fingernail inside the device and through magic through science magic. Um, science. Uh, it somehow (laughs) smells out that it it recognizes the DNA or mojo from the nail and and seeks out the dead body and finds it that way. So, um, anyways, soon uh, perhaps he will be selling a pool. Is that an old, uh, is that too too, too long of an old-timey? We got trouble. Right here in uh, Mexico City. What was it? Junction City. Anyways, um, check out The Prosecutors. And that's the show for this week. If you liked it, if you enjoyed it, give me some love on uh, the ratings. Shoot me a couple stars. It goes a long way. And uh, enjoy the weekend, folks. It is Friday, and in the words of the incomparable Murray Saul, the godfather of Cleveland radio, that means we got to, got to, got to, got to... Gotta, 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 gotta. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Get down, damn it. True Crime This Week is a Fearful Symmetry production. Our theme music is Trash Town Boogie by Mr. Smith, used under a Creative Commons license for use in this show. All sources are listed in the liner notes at the end of this episode. If you like the cut of my jib, please check out my other podcast, Philosophy of Crime. Unless quoted directly from a source, all content should be considered the opinion of the host. That's me, James Renner. See you next week.